us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we just give you glory, Lord, for all that you do. I thank you, Father, that you just love us so much, Lord, that you gave your only Son, Lord, as we just remembered in communion. Lord, who would do that but the one who loves us? So, Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we can come together. And, Lord, we just know, we just know that we can just, Lord, walk in victory and walk, Lord, in the fullness that you have made us to be. And, Lord, that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from your love. So, Lord, we praise you this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn to the person next to you and say, My God is great. All right. Praise the Lord. Cool. Well, we've reached the, the halfway mark of our series of Finding Jesus in the Feast. We're in week, uh, week four, okay? And um, we're actually looking at the third feast, all right? Say that five times, third feast, third feast, third feast. Yep, okay. Get your tongue around that one. And so we've been looking at Leviticus 23, and in Leviticus 23, there are seven feasts that God outlines to, outlines to the Israelites. But more importantly, it's not so much about the feasts, and I just want to take a moment here just to, um, to make note of this. We're not studying, we're not having this series just to um, become familiar with the feasts, okay? Um, because although um, they were important and they, they represented um, something good and great, we need to know that the feast actually pointed to Jesus Christ, okay? It was no, not so much the feast in itself, but who the feast pointed to. And we see in, in, in Colossians 2, Paul talks about this very point, okay, to the Colossians. And in verse 16, he says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths, okay? He was sticking. We can we get those scriptures up? Thanks, guys. He was directly referring to these feasts, okay? And so he's saying, "Don't let anyone condemn you for not keeping them." All right. For in verse seventeen, he says, "For these rules were only shadows. Say shadows, shadows of the real thing, Christ Himself." They were shadows of Christ himself. He who, he, he who here, okay, I know, I'm, I know I'm 50, but I can still remember in my childhood, all right, it wasn't that long ago, whoever played hide and seek? Whoever remember playing hide and seek? Come on, we all did, didn't we? Oh, some of you had a deprived childhood, I'm telling you. All right, hide and seek. And, and you ever remember, you know, you go around, you're looking and, and you're searching for the people and, and you come across, you know, and, and you come across a shadow and you see the shadow on the ground, you see the outline of a person. It, have you found the real thing? Have you found that person? No, you haven't. You haven't found them yet. You're getting close. But when you find the shadow, you're not actually finding the person. You've got to trace that shadow back to the source, don't you? And so these are what, this is what the point of these studies are. We can learn all the intricacies and all the, the regulations and all the, 
you know, the, the cultural meaning of them all and, and all that. And that's good and we need to have understanding of that. But if we don't find Christ, we're still, we're still just lurking in the shadows. And so it's, it's so much important. And that's why we've entitled it Finding Jesus in the Feast. Also, I want to stress that it's not about keeping or not keeping these feasts on an annual basis. Again, that's not the issue at hand. Paul in Romans 14 says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And then he goes on to give this warning to both sides, okay, of the debate in verse 10. He says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. There are followers of Christ who love to keep the holy days. All right? And then there are followers of Christ who don't. They don't, you know, for whatever reason. Paul is saying here, whatever side of the fence you're sitting on, don't judge the others. If you're doing it to the Lord, if you're celebrating it, okay, a particular day, it's like we all celebrate Easter and Christmas. Okay, why? Because we're fully convinced that in celebrating and honoring those days, we are honoring God. Now, if a brother doesn't want to celebrate Christmas, fine, that's, that's cool. I'm happy with that. The matter is, the, the issue comes down to what is in your heart, okay? And that in doing so or not doing so, you're, you are actually glorifying God by your actions. Amen. So take that to heart. It's not about honoring the days to make it a rule that we've got to keep them. Okay? It's about finding Jesus in all of this. So the third feast is a feast of first fruits. There's a lot of F's there. And in verse 9 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So in those few verses, God is outlining the Feast of First Fruits. Now this feast was kept on the 16th day of the first month. Okay, day 16. 
remembering that Passover was on, what, day 14, if you recall from a couple of weeks ago. The first feast was on day 14. The second feast of unleavened bread was the day after on day 15. And so first fruits is the third day in a row. Three days in a row we have a feast. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruit. We knew and we came to know that Passover represented what? Christ's death. Okay. And all that was required of the Passover lamb was fulfilled in Christ upon his death. The sacrificial lamb. Last week we looked at unleavened bread and we saw that that represented what? Christ's burial. Where he was set apart unto the grave. He took the sins. The bread from heaven without sin. Without leaven. And so if we have Passover is Jesus' death, unleavened bread is Jesus' burial, then what logically is first fruits? Jesus' resurrection. Okay? And so we see this in these feasts. In a nutshell, the requirement of the feast was to select the sheath of barley. Okay, so... You know, in, in, in those days, they didn't have the combine harvesters, you know, going around the paddock, you know, harvesting a thousand acres in a day or whatever it was. Okay. It was basically the sickle. Get the sickle out. Whoever remembers using a sickle, if you're 50 years old, yep, you do remember. Okay. And, and you just gather the, the harvest and you get the wheat on its stalk and you bind them all up, all right, ready to take back to the threshing floor to, to process it. And so you were to get a sheath of barley. Why barley? Well, barley was generally the first crop that ripened, okay, in the spring. And then you present it to the, in the temple with the burnt offering of a lamb, an offering of dough that was made from, flour, from the flour, and an offering of wine. And you took the sheath and you waved it before the Lord. Why? It was an offering of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You came before the Lord in thanksgiving. Why? Because in faith, you were expecting a good harvest. And so that small portion, that small sheath, represented the whole harvest. And you were giving thanks to God in presenting that to Him, that there was a great harvest coming. Amen. And that's why you were thankful. It served as a pledge. It was a guarantee that the remainder of the crop would be brought in. And so just think about that for a moment. You were to put aside a small portion before the Lord. It was your thankfulness that brought the offering. You didn't come and say, oh, look at this stuff, you know, we're giving it away. We could have used that. You know, it's, it, you don't come to the Lord with that, that drudgery in your heart, that heaviness in your heart. You came to the Lord with that offering saying, Lord, thank you that we have a great harvest before us. Thank you, Lord, that, you know, you provided the rain at the right time, that, that the sunshine came and that the land was good and, and all this stuff. And there was thankfulness in your heart. And I want to challenge you even this morning when you come before the Lord. Is there that sense of, Lord, you know, this is happening and that's happening. Oh, gosh, you know. Or do we come and say, Lord, 
I thank you for what I do have. I thank you for what has been provided. And coming before him with that thankfulness in your heart. Why? Because, my friends, the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Amen. And as we will see, the resurrection of Christ is a deposit. It's a guarantee of saying the best is yet to come. And not to have our eyes just set on what is just before us, but to lift our eyes. The Word says lift our eyes. Lift our eyes and see what is to come. Woo! Must have been all that sugar this morning. Hallelujah. First things in general are important in Scripture. Okay? Uh, we have the firstborn of males in, of all the animals belong to God. Okay, Exodus 22.30 says that. The firstborn of the Israelites were important to God. We read that in Exodus 13.2 and Numbers 3.13. Okay, we're not going to look at those scriptures now. I just want to set a platform. The first of the agricultural produce was set apart for God. We see that in Exodus 22 and in Exodus 23. In Numbers 15, 20, and 21, we see the first of the bread dough also belonged to God. And in the case of the Feast of First Fruits, Leviticus 23, 14 tells us that God, that the people were forbidden to use any part of the harvest. Okay? They weren't allowed to, to, to start harvesting in any way or use any part of the harvest until the offering was made to God. It was actually considered that you were robbing God if you did not present that offering before you started the harvest. It's actually what Malachi re refers to when the prophet writes in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do, you, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. So it wasn't always about money. It was about bringing, what? The produce into the storehouse. There's a concept here. That if God is, if our Father in heaven is Lord of our life, then the first of what we have belongs to Him. There is that submission to him of saying, Lord, I give this in thankfulness because I know that the rest of it, you will make it meet my need. And so there's an important concept here that we must understand. But you see, the Feast of First Fruits also served as a marker. It was a day from which they then counted off 49 days. Okay, seven weeks. Seven by seven equals. Okay. And on the 50th day, there was another feast, which we will share about next week, called the Feast of Weeks. Okay. And so you had three feasts in a row. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. And then you counted off 50 after that. You know, in the New Testament, first fruits is mentioned no less than seven times. Okay? 
For example, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Paul spoke of the household of Stephanus as the first fruits of Achaia. In Romans 11:16, he refers to the offering of dough in the feast of first fruits, where he says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. Again, Paul uses this imagery when he speaks of salvation as the first fruits of the Spirit in Romans 8.23. By this he meant that the indwelling of the Spirit of God is a guarantee, it's a pledge that there will be a final redemption. There is a promise of resurrection where our bodies will be glorified, creation will be redeemed from the curse. The present reality of the Holy Spirit living in us is a guarantee it says that in ephesians 1 14 the guarantee of our inheritance the first fruits the pledge a foretaste the down payment on our heritage in anticipation of its full redemption and acquiring possession of it to the praise and glory of his name and in 2 corinthians 5 5 it says the holy spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come now that's a bit that's a lot to take in but let me just try and summarize it for us when they came to him in the old testament in the feast days and they brought that small portion of the harvest and they waved it to him in thanksgiving Okay, they were saying, Father, we are just so grateful that there is a harvest before us that will, that will meet our need. That there is a guarantee that this harvest will come in and we will be able to use it. It will, it will bring satisfaction to our souls. It will just meet our family's needs. Okay, and when we look at that in the nature of Jesus okay and we see that this feast represents his how uh, his resurrection what we what we are saying in our hearts when we are thankful to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is saying that Lord we know that if Jesus rose from the dead and he is the first of the harvest like the Bible tells us then hallelujah there is a great harvest to follow and if he is holy if that first batch is holy, then the whole harvest is holy. Amen. So if Jesus is holy, then the rest of his people are holy. Amen. That makes you and me holy. Amen. Sometimes we don't feel it, but thankfulness, faith doesn't go on emotions or feelings. It goes on the truth. And the truth is, Jesus, the firstborn of the resurrection, is holy. And the rest of the crop, the rest of the harvest is going to be holy as well. It's going to be able to come before God and stand before Him. Pure, spotless, blameless, holy. That's some good news, isn't it, folks? Amen. It is a guarantee. The most significant reference, though, is found in 1 Corinthians 15:20, where Paul proclaims 
without a shadow of a doubt he says this the fact is that christ has been raised from the dead he has become the first the first fruits of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again it's talking about us it's talking about us yeah come on it's talking about us jesus was raised from the dead on the third day literally of the passover season he died on the day of passover he was buried on the day of unleavened bread and he rose again on the day of first fruits who reckons that's just coincidence come on no god had a plan god had a plan and if he had a plan that outworked itself way back then then i want to say to you god's got a plan for your life and it will outwork itself amen and he has a plan to prosper you not to harm he has a plan to lift you up not bring you down he has a plan to see greater things in your life than you even know for yourself why wouldn't we come before him in thankfulness yes times can get tough yes things happen in our life that we wish didn't yes life stinks at times and we wish there was a different way of going about it but the truth is god has lifted us up he has brought us to life and that is just worth everything of our heart just as that sheath of grain was taken at the beginning of the harvest and it was waved before the lord in thanksgiving it was a holy offering we see that jesus was taken from his people okay and he became the firstborn of the dead you can read that in revelations 1 5. the grain was a pledge it was a guarantee and the beginning of the harvest the resurrection of jesus is our guarantee of the final harvest the resurrection of all mankind not only did jesus fulfill the prophetic meaning of the feast to become the first fruits he did it on the very day there is a harvest amongst us we talk about it as christians don't we what is the harvest it's the salvation of souls isn't it it's people coming to christ people being rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of our god and when we look at this harvest okay what what is produced well in the natural have you ever seen the the headers working who's ever seen a header go around a paddock okay what do you get the header goes along the grain goes up the chute and into a chaser bin and what goes out the back all the straw all the leftover all the chafe is a chafe chaff chaff sorry i haven't got horses I'd... okay but there's two elements there's the grain and there's the chaff all right which is the good bit the grain okay it's at the threshing floor back in the old days that the grain was separated all right the grain was brought into the storehouse the chaff was put into a 
a pile and burnt up. And when we look at Jesus, we see in Matthew 3, in verse 12, and it says this of Jesus, He is ready to separate the chaff from the grain with his winnowing fork. Okay. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain into his barn and burning the chaff with the never-ending fire. This is a reality. This is a reality. Jesus will come and complete the great harvest. We'll speak about that in the next few weeks when we look at the final three feasts, four feasts. But he is ready. Okay? And we cannot speak of the, the resurrection without speaking about what happens at that time. The Bible is very clear on this. In Matthew 25, 32 and 33. I know there's a lot of scriptures here, guys, but that's why you need to get to a group during the week so you can go over these scriptures, okay? But if you're really keen, you know, grab, grab the, the audio and, and listen to it again and go through these scriptures. But the Bible is very clear what happens. Matthew 25, 32, he says... The sheep will be separated from the goats. Okay. Matthew 13.30 speaks of the same thing. But he says that the weeds will be separated from the wheat. It's all talking about that time of when the harvest is brought into the storehouse. And in Revelations 20 verse 15, it says that those who are in the book of life, will be separated from those whose names are not found in it. There is a separation, my friends. And that's just a reality. As we heard this morning in communion, the choice is ours. We can't look at God and blame Him and say, why, God, are you sending people off to the eternal fire, off to hell? Well, He's not. It comes down to choice, and we have that choice. And when we look at the feast of the first fruit, we see it and it becomes more clear that that choice needs to be made in our life. We can't leave it to chance. We can't just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, I'll leave it to the fate of the gods. Man, we're not a bunch of Greeks. Come on. There is no fate of the gods. There is a truth of our living God. Our life isn't dependent by the flick of a coin. It's not dependent on our knowledge or our education. It's dependent on our choice that we make to either have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us, or we just, just keep going with our own life and say, Kay, Sarah, Sarah. My friends, it's not wherever it will be, will be. It's whatever choice we make it to be that either brings death or life. And I know for a majority of us here today, we've made that choice of life. We've made that choice where we said, Lord, I know that your death, burial, and resurrection is for me. It's for the salvation of me that I have a choice to come into your kingdom because I have faith in you.
But I don't know everyone's situation here this morning. And I don't know if you've made that personal choice. But this morning there is an opportunity. There is an opportunity to make that choice of saying, Lord, I want to be found in the storeroom with the good grain and not discarded out into the paddock with the leftovers, with the chaff. The choice is ours this morning. And in finishing up, I want to offer you that choice. I want to say to you, what does Jesus mean to you? What is his resurrection? What does it mean in your life? Does it just mean we get, you know, a holiday at Easter and that's good? As you're thinking about that, let me finish off with one last scripture of 1 Corinthians 15. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Verse 15 says, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But I love what it says in verse 20. Paul is very definitive in this, and I want to leave us with this. Paul says, but, but, hallelujah, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Can I hear an amen? Come on. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And my friends, Jesus is risen. He is no longer found in the graves of the dead. He is found amongst the living in heaven. And this is our great hope. I know my faith is not futile. I know my preaching is not useless. I know there is a harvest to come and there is a hope. I know that in my life. And man, I just pray that I can convey that, that you can grab hold of that hope in your life. Make that choice even this morning. Make that choice. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ask him to be part of your life. Ask him and just say, Lord, I don't even know what this is all about, but I know there is a choice I have to make.